as we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner. You'll meet a guy, someone you can trust, a battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite! Good whatever time appropriate greeting is appropriate for you. I'm Brad Schmidt. This is, in fact, the Schmidt Show podcast. Thanks for joining me this morning. I believe we've got. Uh, I, I believe we got the Hig. Um, he's actually joining remotely. Um, Hig, can you hear me? I can hear you. Or I, I can. I yeah. Okay. I, uh, I, as you said, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm doing my half Indian guru duties by. Uh, Remotely connecting and utilizing technology to be here with you while I simultaneously host another show. See, now that's the kind of thing that is quite amazing to me. The fact that not only are you able to host your show and or or guest host another show, you're able to be here with me and perform the HIG duties all at the same time. Like, exactly. I don't think people realize the greatness. I mean, people know I'm good and and they know I'm pretty amazing. I don't think people realize how amazing you are. How much time you got, by the way? Don't understand how great the Indian Hig is. <laughs> that's uh, that's redundant, isn't it? Because it can't be the Indian Hig because right. it's the Indian half Indian guru. So it have to be the Indian. If, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a VIN number or a PIN number, a VIN number number or a a PIN number exactly. Number? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, how much time you got? I got a couple minutes. What do we got coming up on the show? Well, so here's what we're we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, um, Asiago Cheddar, you know, finding a nut, the blind squirrel finding a nut. Um, the she she recently mentioned about how it's it's pathetic that um, Congress doesn't pay their staffers more money, um, and she may have stumbled across uh, a, a nugget of truth in her. Um, in her gaff laden speeches over the last couple of weeks. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, what what that means, what it would mean for mm-hmm. Congress, what it would mean for the executive branch. Because one of the things that, that um, I, I was aware of but really hadn't put much thought into um, was this the, the sheer size of the executive branch uh, of the government and the influence that it now carries um, as it relates to the American people. And I, I'm not sure we still have three co-equal branches of government anymore. Um, I, I think what we're, what we're running into is one um, top-heavy branch of government, a, an out-of-control uh, activist branch of government, and then we have this Congress, essentially, the, 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 the legislative branch, who, for whatever reason, have over the past years kind of sold themselves down the river um, and limited their own power um, to be the quote-unquote check and balance on on the other two branches of government. So the, sure. the problem I've got with it is I'm not sure I have a solution for it yet um, other than actually agreeing with, uh, with Representative Asiago Cheddar from New York. So... Um, well, uh, well, if we scale back government, would that not accomplish 
solving a lot of this? It would, but the 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 argument that's being made right now is essentially that we, in order to scale back the the executive branch, we have to ramp up the the legislative branch and so at that point i'm not sure we're actually draining the swamp as much as we are just moving the wetlands around right moving the swamp but if you well if you split it up though don't you don't you force it don't you force change to slow down and force people to kind of work together yeah you do but like i say my my concern is if we if we say we limit the the executive branch by eliminating a couple of cabinet level, you know, agencies, you get rid of the Department of Education, get rid of maybe a couple others as well to to try to limit the 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 scope of the federal government or the executive branch in the federal government, but then turn that over to the House or the Senate by creating a new committee over there. We've just really only shifted the um, shifted the power or the swamp from one place to another. So, um, with that, Noah has to run and get off into, um, his duties over on the other side. So we'll let him go. Thank you, Hig, for your time. And we'll, uh, we'll chat with you again in the, in a few moments, if you get another chance. So, uh, if you want to join the show today, 701-75, no, that's not right. That's, uh, that's the, uh, here's what you need to do. You need to give us a call at 866 866- 766-1776. That's the phone number over there. 7017 or uh, 8-6. Sorry. I'm still I've got two different phone numbers that I'm trying to remember. Um it's 1-866-766-1776. That's how you call in. Join us on Facebook, join us on Twitter. We've got some comments and things on Telegram uh that we can share with you. We've got some uh comments that we can share with you also. Um, through the uh, Freenode chat room, all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. We do have a Discord group, but I, I'm so look, I'm so ADD. I, I try to keep up with all this stuff, but um, when we've got this many different ways to connect, it it gets a little overwhelming for a guy like me because I've just got so much going on in my brain. I I can't keep up with all of that kind of stuff. So we'll do our best to uh, to uh, incorporate your discussion into or your thoughts into the discussion. So. Uh, again, 866-766-1776 if you're listening live. Obviously, if you're listening to the recording, um, you can't do that. You can't call in if we've already uh, finished the recording. So uh, if you're listening to the recording, ignore what I just said. You can still, though, find us on Twitter, Facebook, and and the uh, the Telegram group. It's uh, Schmidtheads, I believe, is the Telegram. Sh- no, the, the Schmidt Show is the Telegram group, the Schmidt Show. Um, so anyway, um, all kinds of ways to uh, be a part of the show. So we're, let's, let's kick off with this. Um, uh, so first of all, there was a Time magazine, which is Time still a magazine or is it just an online magazine now? Um, there was a Time piece, we'll just say it that way, um, put out by Time, uh, a piece put out by Time because a Time piece sounds like a watch. A piece put out by Time um, last week sometime. Yeah, the 5th of December. That says, Congressional Representative-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has called on her fellow lawmakers to follow her lead and increase the wages of their staff in Washington, D.C. On Monday, Ocasio-Cortez, who became the youngest woman elected to Congress in the last month's midterms, tweeted about her experiences of meeting service staff in a D.C. restaurant who were simultaneously working in government. 
Asiago Cheddar ran on a platform of advocating for a $15 minimum baseline or $15 baseline minimum wage and called the current situation, quote, a disgrace. Here's her tweet. She says, this week I went to dive, I went to dive spot in, in DC for some late night food. I chatted up the staff, several bartenders, managers, and servers currently worked in the Senate and house offices. This is a disgrace. Congress of all places should raise MRAs so we can pay staff an actual DC living wage. Now, I'm I'm not a big D, uh, living wage person because I, I believe that's part of the problem with the reason it is so expensive to live um, is because we've we keep upping this quote unquote living wage concept. Um, soon it won't be long before a living wage will be you know a million dollars a year, and you know we'll be using American currency as as toys for children like they did in the. 30s in Germany. Um, but she may be onto something here. She may have stumbled across um, a a nut, even if it's a, you know, a you know, maybe a, a half rotten nut, you might be able to scrape off some of the rotten stuff and and get a little bit of uh, uh, usable nut from the rest of it. But she may have stumbled across something here. In, in her in her incorrect motivations, she may have gotten on something. And that something mean being the fact that the 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 congressional side, in their zeal to cut expenses and things like that that they've done over the last several decades, um, which we know they're not really doing, but it's long story. Um, they may have actually hamstrung themselves in in their effectiveness. We we talk about this a lot uh, in the world of political punditry about the efficacy or efficiency of of the legislature and how it seems so impossible for them to get things done with any sort of of just general. Um, efficiency. I, I can't think of any other word. The, the, there is such a lack of efficiency in in Congress that they there's anyway. Well, uh, let's get back to. I, I, I don't want to go off off on too many tangents. Um, it, 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 let's just say it this way: the the House, the Senate, they are both so caught up in the the committees and all of the other garbage that they're doing the fundraising for every two years for an election on the house side and and all of that there there's so much stuff that they're caught up that they're not getting the things done that they need to get done and because the staff is has such a high turnover rate um, because of the low pay they're they're just wildly inefficient so anyway back to uh, Asiago Cheddar. She had a follow-up tweet where she later said, this week I went to a dive spot in, in, um, oh, where'd I go? I, let me get back to the, she had a follow-up tweet. And I can't find it now. Anyway, um, 
She argued that it was, here it is, she argued that it was unfair for Congress to, quote, rely on unpaid interns and underpaid overworked staff. Now, I'm not going to get into the discussion of unpaid interns and, and things like that because I think there's a place for that, a a proper um, use of unpaid interns um, and a, a way for universities and, and things like that to be able to uh, to leverage that experience for experience for the people for the for the the students the unpaid interns um so i don't want to get into that discussion but um the the idea that congress may need to raise their pay scale may actually be a logical solution so here's the argument. The argument is that the size of Congress is one one thousandth of a percent the size of the executive branch. And this is numbers according to Daniel Horowitz. He's done some of the math on this, and I'll have a link to this article uh, in the show notes. He's done some of the math on this, and... He says, even if we don't include the cost of the federal programs and just factor in the discretionary spending to to fuel the executive bureaucracy, it is still over 300 times larger than Congress. The budget of the, hear this, this is one of the things that Daniel Horowitz came up with. The budget of the Department of Education alone is 15 times larger than that of the entire legislative branch. So whenever you wonder why there's no voice, Daniel Horowitz says, for the forgotten American amidst the special interests fueling harmful government policies, just remember that even the few members of Congress who intuitively sympathize with us feel they lack the time, resources, and knowledge, or time, resources, knowledge, and energy to deal with it. One of those resources being staff, which is getting harder and harder to come by. A 2010 report from the Sunlight Foundation discovered that congressional policy job positions have decreased over the previous 25 years, as well as actual wage decreases for those who had the remaining jobs. The Congressional Research Service reports also show those average wages decreasing from 2009 to 2013. So the, the question then becomes, with fewer and fewer jobs and fewer and fewer dollars to pay those employees in those jobs, where are these people going, right? Because those, the people who left those positions, some of them, of course, retired, but not all of them. So where have they gone? And, and the very simple answer is, Lobby shops. A 2013 study found that low pay, of course, was a driving force for a lot of these congressional staffers leaving their their jobs and heading off other places. So the other side of that coin is that the average legislative staffer with 
any kind of experience, and not even much, they can typically say adios to Congress, the, the long hours, the low pay, all of that, and cash in working for a lobbyist with just a very, very few layers of experience. They don't need a whole lot of experience because there is such a need because lobbyists often run the show in Congress. So they don't need a whole lot of experience. They, they just a little bit of experience. You can go get a job with a lobbying company, make 10, 12, 15, 20 times as much money and not work nearly as hard. So what you end up with is massive turnover in Congress. Um, according to the Congressional Management Foundation, a report in 2017 said there are no staff positions in the Senate or House committees or personal offices with a median tenure of more than four years. That means most of the key staffers on Capitol Hill, the ones who directly support the policy and constituent engagement work of senators and representatives are fairly new to their jobs. So essentially what we've got is a bunch of newbies right out of college with a political science degree from a radical leftist university or a radical leftist professor of political science at their university running the show. The, the, the people that are making policy decisions and guiding our congressmen and senators are the ones that really have no understanding of how the real world actually works. They're fresh out of college, pie in the sky, leftist, socialist, radical. If you want to know why Washington, D.C. went 95% plus for Hillary, for Bernie, for, you know, pick the, you know, Al Gore, Obama, Bill Clinton. I mean, go back as far as you can remember. And the Washington's D.C. voter block goes overwhelmingly, oftentimes 90 plus percent for the Democrat candidate. If you want to know why, this is why the people who live in Washington, the staffers on Capitol Hill, the, the policymakers in these executive branch uh, departments and things like that are, are leftists who have been brainwashed by their leftist professors at the university. So if, if that doesn't concern you, then I think you need to maybe take a minute to, to figure out what your values are. And if you're okay with a bunch of college kids running the country. Now, I would suggest there's a couple of ways to deal with this. Um, one, of course, would be curtailing the executive branch, which I think needs to happen anyway. The other would be to curtail the staff in general. Do some work on limiting the power of lobbyists. Put some, some effort back into... One of them being, and this is a discussion I'll maybe have to get into another time, but one of them being uh, the 17th Amendment. 
repealing the 17th Amendment. One of the things that the 17th Amendment or repealing the 17th Amendment would do would be to return the senators to be elected by the state houses. So the 17th Amendment reads this way. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislatures. Um, essentially, popular election of the senators is part of this problem. The way the Constitution was originally written and the reason the senators were chosen by the states before is because the Senate, the job of the Senate was to protect the state's rights. The job of the House was to represent the people to the federal government. So the Senate, if it were to be pushed back to have your local legislatures elect them and send them to Washington, one of the things that you would see, one of the, the positives that would happen would be lobbyists would move out of Washington and move back to the states. And the lobbyists would no longer be lobbying Senator Feinstein or Senator... Cruz or Senator whoever, pick one, Senator Hirono from Hawaii, they would be lobbying your state legislatures. They would be lobbying the people that you live with in your local communities. They would be lobbying the people in your local area. And those local people would be people that you have access to, that you can talk to, and you can say, look, I understand that the lobbyist is telling you this and that and the other. Here's what I want you to do. And remember, I'm the one who voted for you. And it would return. Now, I get that this is pie-in-the-sky thinking, and I get that this is, this is um, you know, probably not a, a, a genuine likelihood, But these are the conversations we need to start having as it relates to dealing with bringing back the Congress, the Senate, the House, getting them to do the things that we want them to do and to stop doing the things that we don't want them to do. If we could get to a point where at least the senators and the House of Representatives, they were originally intended to be the voice of the people. So, you know, leave that obviously as popular election. But getting the Senate back in control of the states where they were supposed to be, the reason, the way the founding fathers originally designed it to be, would go a long way to to curtailing the influence of the Senate or cur curtailing the influence of the lobbying on the Senate. Because if 
in North Dakota, where I live, if Senator Hoven and and soon to be Senator Elect or Senator Elect Kramer, soon to be Senator Kramer, if the only people that they had to re, re um, respond to, if the only people they were accountable to was the local North Dakota state legislature because they were the ones that put them in office, they would only answer to the people of North Dakota. And it wouldn't matter what Chuck Schumer says. It wouldn't matter what Mitch McConnell says. It wouldn't matter what any of the other Senate leadership says because they would have no power over their particular Senate seat. They wouldn't be able to say, if you don't do this, the party won't support you. If you don't do what I want you to do, the, the, the party won't support you. It won't matter because it's not the party that they're representing. It would be the people of the state that they are representing. So that would be one way to go to, to curtail this. The other way to curtail this would be, and, 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 and for me, this would be the less, the, the less, less, the less, attractive opportunity or option. It would be to expand Senate staff and uh, congressional staff. Figure out a way to maintain and retain talent in Washington. Instead of having them run off to lobbyists after a couple of years and then having to hire some new flunky right out of college to continue the job poorly that they, their predecessor was doing poorly. We put them, you know, we, re, we retain, we maintain. You spend a little bit of extra money that you raise by, well, like say for one, if the, if the, the budget of the Department of Education is 15 times larger than the entire legislative branch, just eliminate the Department of Education and turn their budget over to the legislative branch to hire and maintain and retain quality, skilled people. Because as it stands right now, e- even if I wanted to, even if I, well, and I have not been offered, but if I were offered, a job as a congressional staffer, I probably couldn't afford it. I could not afford to live in Washington, one of the most expensive places to live in the country, by the way. Thank you to Democratic control for decades. Um, Even if I wanted to, I couldn't afford it. But if they raise the pay and make it worthwhile for someone like me who spent most of his life studying politics and paying attention to these kind of things and understanding what kind of things need to happen to, to get this country back on track, attract that kind of talent, you know, attack the, uh, attract the best and brightest minds of the local communities in which their constitu or their, their senators and congressmen represent maybe just maybe getting the political elitists or so-called political elitists that don't know what they're doing because they're just following the, the socialist leftist brainwashing that they're getting in their universities running the show. 
maybe that would be one way to to begin to turn things around. So uh, as I said, Ocasio-Cortez may be onto something. She may have stumbled across a somewhat rotten nut because that's my other concern. If we eliminate the Department of Education and shift that 15 times larger budget over to Congress for staffing and and salaries and things like that, what are we really accomplishing? Are we actually draining the swamp? Or are we just simply draining from one swamp into another swamp? Um, there was an article written by Politico. Um, I'm trying to find the dateline on this. I don't see the dateline on it. Um, yeah, I'm not finding the dateline on it or who it was written by. Why doesn't it have uh, Mikey, Mickey Edwards, former eight-term member of Congress and chairman of the House Republican Policy Committee. After leaving office in 93, taught government at uh, Harvard and Princeton. So this is who wrote this article. Um, he talks about, in this article, some interesting things that took place that kind of led us to where we were. Under the speakership of Newt Gingrich, he says, Quote, in an attempt to demonstrate its new cost-cutting zeal, the Congress began to unilaterally disarm itself. Staffing, and thus expertise, was reduced. Foreign travel was scaled back, leaving members of Congress dependent on, on whatever information the executive branch wished to share with them about important international issues or what they could discern from reading newspapers. The diminished capacity was further decreased in 2011 when Congress stripped itself of the ability to designate specific spending priorities through ap appropriations and earmarks. As a result, members of Congress were not only deprived of an important tool for negotiating with their colleagues, but power over spending decisions, a fundamental congressional responsibility, was ceded to the executive branch bureaucrats whose decisions about which government projects would be funded lacked any public transparency. That's just one of the, the things that's, that's happened in Congress. Now, I think there's some arguments to be had about appropriations and earmarks and pork barrel spending and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think those are legitimate discussions to be had um, and, and something that we, just, we can't just ignore. But what I think we do absolutely need to do, as President Trump has alluded to, um, but has not quite been as effective as I would have liked him to be, is, is quote-unquote draining the swamp. The, the, the executive branch consists of 15 different, um, let me get it up here, 15 different departments. I don't know if I could even list them all off the top of my head. Again, Department of Agriculture, uh, Housing and Development, um, Education, um, all these different cabinet level um, cabinet level um, secretarial positions and and federal agencies. Um, this is from 
I think a guy named, I don't know who this is, Mike Kaufman. Um, not sure what his qualifications are, but he's got some interesting statistics. He says, in terms of size and budget, courts, this is courts, he's talking about demand to, to grow, uh, simply grow to attempt to meet demand. In the case of Congress, its size is limited in law, and its budget generally follows suit. The, these two issues are just aren't significant for these two branches. As for the executive branch, its size and budget have grown at tremendous rates, mainly because the other three issues mentioned, scope, duties, and authority. Federal spending in 1900 was less than 3% of the gross domestic product. Since then, it's risen with big jumps during major wars, but even though the major war spending goes away, spending continues to rise overall. The current spending level is around 20% of GDP at the federal level. In addition, states provide the manpower and other support services for many federal programs, adding several percentage points to the total cost of federal programs. Um, so one of the things that we've got to deal with as it relates to the executive branch is limiting its scope and its duties in general. Now, this isn't an easy thing to do, right? The, the executive branch, like I said, um, consists of 15 different um, departments. There's, what do they call them? Cabinet level. I'm trying to think. I keep, I can't. Anyway, um, this doesn't help me. I, I, I'm trying to find a list of the, the 15 executive branches or the 15 executive cabinets. You'd think there'd be a Wikipedia page on this, right? Um, executive, I'm trying to, executive cabinet. Executive cabinet, U.S. government, blah, blah, blah. Cabinet of the United States. Here we go. I think this is. So there's the Secretary of State, which probably we should hang on to. Secretary of the Treasury, eh, maybe should hang on to that. Secretary of Defense, yeah, I'm okay with that. Attorney General, I'm okay with. Secretary of the Interior, Energy and Natural Resources Committee is the confirmation review committee for that. Um, do we need a Secretary of Interior? I'm not sure we do. I, do we? I, I, I said, I guess, do we need a Department of Interior, or could that be? Um, could that be combined with some other group? Health and Human Services. Do we need that on a federal level? Is that something that should be handled by the state? Does that really need to be a cabinet level position? We've recently added the Secretary of Homeland Security. Can we turn those duties back over to the FBI? Can we turn those duties back over to the 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 CIA or whoever other you know, whatever other areas of uh, law enforcement we have, the, the, the redundancies we've already got. Um, housing and urban development. Is that really, a, is it really necessary to have a, a cabinet level, an entire federal government department for that? Um, the education department, I would suggest, is, is absolutely irrelevant and unnecessary. Veterans Affairs, 
is that something that really needs to be a separate? Can we just move that under under the uh, under the Department of Defense? Let them handle that. A trade representative is a cabinet level position. I'm okay with that. I guess on on some levels, director of national intelligence. Can't that just go back again to the CIA? Do we need an ambassador to the United Nations? As far as I'm concerned, we should just pull out of the United Nations anyway. Office of Management and Budget. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll we'll let that one stay. Um, the director of Central Intelligence Agency, CIA. Yeah, again, put the Homeland Security under that maybe. Um, and admin of the EPA. Do we need the EPA at all? Can we leave that up to the states? Does that need to be a federal agency? I'm not sure it does. What about the Small Business Administration? Again, can't we leave that up to the states? So these are these are the discussions that we need to have. We but but my problem with Daniel Horowitz's position that taking the 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 power away from the executive branch just to hand it over to or the budget away from the the Department of Defense or I'm sorry from the the executive branch and handing it over to Congress is not necessarily the best option either we actually have a caller this is a first for us so uh, I'm gonna see if I can get this on I apologize you've been waiting for a while I, and I wasn't paying close enough attention you're on the Schmidt show what's your name Hey, Brad. Hey, no, it's Chaz from New York again. How you hey, doing? Hey, Chaz is doing great. How about you? Pretty good. I feel kind of bad because you are obviously on a roll with this week's topic, and I was actually going to comment on next week's topic because I didn't get a chance to listen live next week. That's, a, that's all right. You go for it. What, what's on your mind? So you were talking about how is it uh, do people who believe in freedom and you know reject kind of radical socialism need a new world? Oh, yeah. To go to. I was wondering, have you uh, read or do you plan on reading the People's Republic series of books by Kurt Schlichter? I have. N- I've heard of this. So, OK, so that, that's an interesting. I, I don't know. I, I know very, very little about them other than I've heard somebody else mention the title of these books to me. Um, so I, I am very interested in reading them. I'm actually also interested in reading. There's a book written by he goes by the, the pseudonym Angry American called Going Home. And it's kind of like a, uh, you know, a doomsday preparation kind of book series. What is what is this particular series that you're talking about? What's it called again? People's Republic. So Pe- the Spark Notes version is in 2020, Hillary Clinton managed to uh, corral enough electoral votes to get elected president and immediately began making life difficult for all the quote-unquote deplorables. Okay. And the resulting civil unrest and violence basically caused the United States to meet and sign the Treaty of St. Louis, which essentially made the United States Czechoslovakia. You had the West Coast and the Northeast become the People's Republic of North America and go full-on Venezuela, while the rest of the country remained the United States of America and basically implemented Starship Trooper rules. So you could only vote or hold public office if you were in the United States military at some point. Okay. He builds it as a cautionary tale, but I was wondering if, you know, that was something along the lines of, you know, a solution that you think would be 
tenable. You know, I, 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 I guess I'd have to read the books. It, the, it, it does sound very interesting to me. I guess that this is one of the things that, that I'm, I, I've suggested maybe needs to happen. I don't know if I've suggested it here on the podcast, but I've talked about it on my terrestrial radio show. Um, the, the idea that we might need to, to simply um, see another civil war. Now, I don't think a, a, a civil war you know, like a bloody civil war, like we saw in the 1860s would be the, the best option for us. But the, you know, the, the secession from the union and just to say, you know what, uh, enough is enough. We are going to just separate. And, and the folks in quote unquote flyover country, right. You know, right kind of down the center of the country, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Wyoming, you know, the, the kind of the, the heart of the country, we all just say, uh, you know what? We're done. We're out. You on the left coast and the right coast can kind of do whatever you want. Um, I don't know if it's the the best solution. I, I would love to see the 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 restoration of the union or the 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 salvation of the union, if you want to say it that way. Um, but I, I, on the surface, I, I've wondered that is 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 what we need. Just a, a like you say, a, a a new world, a new place to go, um, to where we, almost at, have, have you ever have you ever read Ayn Rand's books, the you know the the classic Atlas Shrugged, or or seen the movies that were based on it? I have not. It's on my list of things to do, but my list of things to do is incredibly long. And yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Um, I would suggest this if you if you have a Netflix uh, account, just watch the 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 movies. They're kind of the Cliff Notes version of Atlas Shrugged. Um, it, the acting isn't the best, and 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 it, you know the production quality certainly isn't a, a Hollywood blockbuster. But you get, like you say, kind of the Cliff Notes of the of the of the books and. And in them, you, you get this paradise that is built essentially where we say, hey, if you want to be here, fine, you can be here all you want, but we've got maximum amount of responsibility and a m- minimum amount of regulation. Um, and it, it essentially is kind of the opposite of where we are heading with our world today. So I, that's very attractive to me simply because of my, my religious background in my, my history as a former pastor. And I, the example I use, if you go back to the garden of Eden, again, even if you don't believe in God or, or the Bible or any of that kind of stuff, the, the, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden is they had one rule. The only rule they had was don't eat from that tree. Everything, everything else you can do anything you want. No, absolutely no, no restriction on anything. Just don't eat from that tree. That's the only rule you have. They broke that one rule and guys said, all right, you you you, you got to behave. I told you this is the one rule. So now we got to add a couple more rules. And here's some of the consequences for breaking the rules. You know, pain and childbearing and whatever, right? So as the world has progressed then from the Garden of Eden to where we are today, we have massive amounts of regulation, massive amounts of rules, and very, very little liberty. And every time a new rule is added, a little bit of liberty is taken away from us. So the idea of a quote-unquote new new world. And I'm not talking like a new world order kind of thing. I'm thinking, talking about like a, like a physical, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 kind of thing. Right. And, and of course we know that that doesn't really exist in this, in the world. Everything has pretty much been explored. We know where everything's at and all that, but you get the point, right? That's the idea is that there's this, 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 uh, there could be a quote unquote new, new world 
where we could recreate or, or at least try to begin to recreate the ideas and the ideologies that were set out by the founding fathers and saying maximum amount of liberty from the crown with, or, or maximum amount of, of responsibility because of the maximum amount of liberty from the crown. So that would be, um, that would be my, my view. Maximum responsibility and minimum regulation. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Definitely. I mean, so is really what I would like to see. Have you have you read this? Have you read this this book, this People's Republic? Yep. Uh, there's three books: People's okay. Republic, and then there's a prequel uh, called Indian Country, which kind of because uh, People's Republic was published and written before the 2016 election. Okay. So then Indian country was kind of written so that it could bring uh, people's Republic back in line with established history. Cause uh, Kurt was writing uh, people's Republic on the idea that he thought the uh, Hillary was going to win. Was gonna win. Okay. And then, yep. And then they just uh, published, he just published a new book called wildfire, which takes place after people's Republic. Okay. Um, and kind of, uh, shows what's happening internationally as well as uh, within the United States and the People's Republic of North America. I'm just looking here on on Amazon at some of the other stuff that he's written. He's got one that's a new one apparently is coming out in 2019. It's scheduled for release in June of 2019, um, which looks interesting. It's called Militant Normals, How Regular Americans Are Rebelling Against the Elite. Um, so oh, that's already out. Is it? It says June. It says June fourth, twenty nineteen. Huh. That's and it's already out. I. Yep. Huh. I'll have to look into that because I'm so that may be. <laughs> I'm also looking in, and I'm I'm working on an interview with. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the name Steve Dace. Um, I'm working on an interview with him. Hopefully, be able to talk about his new book that's coming out, or or is maybe already out called Truth Bombs. So. Um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of along that the Steve Dace was interestingly enough, he's, as far as I'm concerned, Steve Dace is probably one of the, uh, most intelligent and, and, and sharpest, uh, political commentators working today. He's got the, he's got the intelligence and, and wit of Ben Shapiro and the, the wisdom of Rush Limbaugh. And the guy is just so good. Um, but he is, he's working with conservative review right now and, and CRTV and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I'm hoping to have him on, um, just because like I say, he's so smart. He was part of the, he was kind of part of the, the never Trump group, um, prior to the 2016 election, but he's kind of done like what I've done and said, look, I was, I was never Trump until, you know, the day after the election, now we've got, whether we like it or not, he's our president and we need to, we need as, as his constituency to, to do the best we can to, to support him when he does the right thing, call him out when he does the wrong thing and, and help him understand his, his duty to shepherd the American people and, and give him all the tools to help him be as conservative as possible. In fact, one of the things that I heard him mention recently as he talked about, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, he, the one thing he talked about recently was essentially he said, look, one of the best things that could happen to Donald Trump in 2020 would be to see a, a, um, you know, a, uh, what was the guy the uh, from Ohio that ran for president? Um, not Kucinich. That's, uh, 
who the heck was the guy's name? I lost his name now. Anyway, the the guy that was he was the last two. Him and Cruz were the last two left, um, leading up to to the the twenty sixteen. Uh, Republican primary, um, him and a, like a Jeff Flake or somebody like that. That's kind of on the left wing of the Republican Party. That to primary Trump or to attempt to primary Trump, because what that would force him to do, in order to or in an effort to differentiate himself and say why you need to keep me as opposed to going with a Jeff Flake or somebody like that, is is it would force Trump to move to the right and 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 to to even continue on a, on a deeper level to continue that, that, uh, that push to conservatism. Do you think that, or would it be a good idea or would you, would you, you think he's crazy? Well, I mean, I can see the merits. The, uh, the thing that, uh, concerns me is, I I don't know if you uh, ever listened to Cam Edwards on NRA TV before, uh, that kind of, uh, off. Yeah. His uh, constant his constant joke was there's 74 declared uh, Democratic uh, Democrats seeking the nomination for 2020. Right. And uh, I would just be concerned of, you know, the Republican Party potentially fat, you know, fracturing into oh. once again having 17 people on one stage. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. I could I could definitely see that as weekend. a concern for sure. We, we, we get, you know, the Harris-Booker tickets and then Andy Cuomo, you know, surprise, surprise, right. not being truthful about his intention not to run. <laughs> and then, you know, Estacio Cortez decides, well, you know, there's not enough outsiders in this race, so I'm going to run. Right. And, you know, that helps us. It yeah. doesn't help us to have, you know, Trump running and then Kasich wanting to take a crack at Kasich, it. that's and the guy's then, name. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, it's fine. Um, uh, it was kind of my thought. I was yeah. having a hard time picking out more uh, potential people who would probably seek the challenge. The the other the other interesting thing for me is that I that I'd kind of like to see happen as well is the the um, I think we need to to be and I'm I'm guilty of this as as much as the next guy teasing Ocasio Cortez and making fun of her for being somewhat of an adult. Um, because she is, I mean, there's, there's no question about that. This woman does not have the, the intellectual prowess necessary, in my opinion, to be a Congresswoman, but here we are. Um, but I think we need to be careful of, of downplaying that because I think, um, I think she has, um, she's got some traction and of course she won't be old enough to run for president in, in 2020 anyway. So it doesn't matter if she wants to run or not. She I, she actually tweeted out the other day that the the Constitution says that only men under 35 can't run. But if she had taken just a moment to actually look in the Constitution, it actually does say any person under 35. It doesn't have anything to do with, right. with sexism. She's just adult. But that her her following and the people that that find her, I follow some various groups on uh, and subreddits on Reddit. And man, the, 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 the young generation, I don't even think it's the millennials. I think it's the next, whatever the Gen Zers or whoever they are after the millennials, they, they look at this woman like a, like a superhero. And, and I think we need to be careful not to, to downplay that and, and be prepared for, for someone like her, even if it's not her, maybe a Beto out of 
Texas or whatever they call his Beto or whatever the guy's name was out of out of Texas. Those guys and people like that, those superstars that that young people can look up to. Um, man, that's that can be a, a a pretty dangerous force in an election system or election cycle as well. So, well, thank you for for sharing almost twenty minutes of your time with us uh, here on the Schmidt Show. You're the you're the very first caller to the to the live broadcast on a Monday morning. So uh, kind of cool as we uh, continue to grow. I hope this happens more often. All right, I hope so too. Have a good one. You too. Seven or eight six six seven six six seventeen seventy six is the number if you want to do that. If you want to join the show, if you want to have these discussions and and share your thoughts, um, man, we we uh, we love having folks on and we love talking about this kind of stuff. I have found honestly, I'm a better host when I have somebody to talk to. Um, when I when it's not just me spewing my own bias and 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 um and and bent and and conservative leanings it it makes for a better show um for me anyway when when you all uh play the part and and be a part of the show as well so i i appreciate uh appreciate the the phone call and 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 the interaction here on the schmidt show so on the Schmidt show. So 866-766-1776 is the number if you want to do that. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap things up here uh, today on the Schmidt show. If you want to be a part of the show, uh, man, it was, it's uh, that's a great way to do it is through the phone. 866-766-1776. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and, and all the other discussions of, of social media or all the other platforms, I should say of social media and, and all that Twitter and whatnot. So, um, it always makes for a much more interesting show. Uh, so thank you for that. The other thing I want to just mention, we are trying to do this more. We are trying to expand the Schmidt show. We want to be a part of, of, uh, the national discussion in a more significant way. Um, and one of the ways we're in the process of building a new studio, we're putting in a, a new, uh, desk and some new streaming equipment and, microphones and and even hopefully moving to video adding a, a you know a couple of of uh, gopros or something in the new studio once we get that up we want to we want to offer video for folks uh, we were when we first started putting the the podcast up on on youtube as well but it was just a lot of work for for very little uh, return and i don't mean financial return but it just most people were not listening to it that way um, we were seeing very few downloads from the YouTube side, so we've just moved it to uh, we're straight audio right now. Now, like I say, once we get actual video up, um, and just not a not just a video representation of the audio podcast, um, well, we're going to move back in that direction. But all of this costs money, um, and all of this requires uh, a little bit of support. So if you want to do that, I, I'm not one to beg for money. Um, but if you want to be a part of that, we have a, we do have a Patreon account. Um, just search for the Schmidt show on Patreon and you'll find it. I'm like, say, I'm not going to spend a lot of time begging for money. Um, or if you're a a business owner that wants to support, uh, the work that we do with the Schmidt show, um, get in contact with us through the website, send us an email, a contact form. We've got a contact form on the Schmidt show.com and, and, uh, we'd love to, to, uh, to be a part of what it is that you're doing. So uh, with that, like I say, we're going to wrap up a little bit of a shorter episode this week as we've um, normally go just over an hour. Today we're going to be just under an hour. And so 
once again, great call. I appreciate that. Great insight. And I'm going to look up that book, The People's Republic. I might have to see if I can read all three of them in order. So um, I am your host, Brad Schmidt. This has been The Schmidt Show. We did have a quick um, uh, guest appearance with Hig, with Noah. He is also at the exact same time, though, um, broadcasting a another show on a terrestrial station. So uh, he was not able to join us for the sh- full show today. But Hig will be back next week and uh, should be a great time as well. We'll see you then. I'm Brad Schmidt. This is The Schmidt Show. Have a great week.